Welcome to the Scuffed Podcast. I'm Adam Bells in Georgia. With me is Greg Velasquez in Iowa. We talk about U.S. men's soccer. Ah, it feels nice. Winning. Getting it done. We saw some bad performances, but by golly, we did it. Ferreira got the winner. David Ochoa with a monster in goal. And we took a huge step toward the Olympic playing game on March 28. Greg, speak to us. Bells is over. Nothing can go wrong now. Uh, we are we are going to Tokyo. <laughs> it is, uh, I mean, there is a actually a quite a plausible path for things to go wrong, right? If Costa if <laughs> Costa Rica beats Mexico. That throws a wrench in things. Um, of course, we have to beat the Dominican Republic or Mexico. I mean, there's different ways this can go, but this was a big step. It was a big step. Right. We, we, it's just we built it, that game up so much to be like, win this game and we're in because we had to win this game. Any any other result, oh, a draw would have been made things interesting. But, you know, a loss would have felt like it basically knocked us out of the tournament. Again, none of those things would have actually been the case, but that's just how it. everyone was sort of approaching this game. Uh, that, you know, great job winning it. We actually now have another must-win game coming up on Sunday. Yeah. We just should, I mean, expect to win that one. Right. And yeah, none of them is a must-win. None of these games is a must-win, it turns out. But uh, they're all must-wins. <laughs> what a paradox. Right. So the lineup, let's do the lineup. U.S. lineup was uh, David Ochoa in goal. Bit of a surprise there the youngest of the trio of goalkeepers in this camp, Aaron Herrera, Justin Glad, Mauricio Pineda, and Sam Vines along the back line, Jackson Ewell at the six, Hassani Dotson and Georgi Mihailovic as the uh, nominal eights, and Benji Michel, Jesus Ferreira, and Jonathan Lewis across the front line. There we go. Uh, the Ochoa uh, selection was a, a pretty big surprise to me because I feel like that is going out on a limb. Even if you're, even if you like him the most through a camp, uh, you know he's definitely the guy with the least match experience. Uh, and you know I said I said yesterday like evaluating goalkeepers shot stopping can be uh, pretty difficult uh, at times because you know it's a really tiny sample size with with shots and matches, and so you're really uh, banking a lot on what you're seeing in training to to go with Ochoa. Uh, obviously Ochoa. Uh, validated that selection. Yes, he did. And that was, uh, for me, the most exciting thing about the game. It, it, it may be hard to evaluate shot stopping, not hard to evaluate swagger. <laughs> and that could be, that could be it. Honestly, like uh, I was asking if, if Ochoa, ha- I was asking some of, some of these, uh, the slack experts we have, uh, whether Ochoa is w- much better with his feet. Cause that's another thing that you could pretty easily tell through training. And if he is, then that gives a reason to include him if you're going to be using your goalkeeper a lot. But communication is another big one. And if he's better at organizing a line, when you're bringing in a bunch of guys who aren't used to playing together, you you need that voice to control things in the back. So if that's a strength of his, and I know you might be referring to slightly uh, different kind of swagger. Uh, but no, I'm, I'm referring to all of it. Yeah. Just, yeah, to just sort of own, to essentially just sort of own the organization of the team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he imposes himself on the game in a lot of different ways that I really appreciate. Um, so uh, otherwise, any surprises in the lineup for you? I guess Dotson was a little bit of a surprise that he started. 
Yeah, I, I didn't expect that necessarily. I didn't even really expect uh, for sure like Benji Michelle to play. Uh, but obviously Giannis uh, left camp either the, yes, the day before the game or the day of the game, depending. It was announced the day of the match. Um, so he's the other, Michelle's the other sort of right-sided winger. So it makes sense that he'd play. Uh, Dotson, I think, was a surprise. I think most people would have expected Cardoso or Perea to double up with Ewell. Um, mm-hmm. Cardoso arrived in camp late. So that may have played into it, or it might just be that Dotson uh, is is the guy that has established himself in camp, and he definitely he definitely was a uh, positive contributor in that match yesterday. Yep, yeah, we'll get into that for sure. Um, and then for I think Ferreira at, at striker, Lewis at, at left wing is uh, that was sort of par for the course. That was expected, and. Um, I think I think Mihailovic and Yule, no, no big surprise there. And yeah, Herrera and Vines did not was not surprised that they started at fullback. A little surprised Kessler didn't start at center back, but I don't know why I was surprised about that. I don't I don't have a reason that I was surprised. Don't ask me to explain my surprise. <laughs> Here you have this meter that just like keeps fluctuating as you as you read down the lineup. Uh <laughs> Probably you might have just talked yourself into Kessler because he was uh, a full-on starter for a very you know good New England Revolution team, whereas Glad was sort of in and out of a Rail Salt Lakeside. That's I mean yeah. that's that's a decent connection to make right there. Yeah, sure. And Glad has been you know some of the shine has come off him a little bit from a national team perspective over the last few years. Um, I believe Coast- I believe your was he your very first scuffed player interview. Yes, it was. Nice. It was. The first time I ever interviewed somebody was Justin Glad. Thank you, Justin. Uh, Costa, Costa Rica's lineup uh, is a little bit interesting. They came out in, I guess it's a 4-5-1 in defense and kind of a 4-2-3-1 in possession. Something like that. Uh, it's They had Kevin Chamorro, their backup. He's, he's the backup in this group uh, at, in goal. In goal. Uh Sakara, the guy who I think is better than him, it was a is, is a late arrival to camp. Late, so late, in fact, that he missed the first game. Correct. Um, yep. Not available. And Chamorro was was he looked like a backup? I thought, especially in distribution. Uh, they had across the back line Ian Smith at right back, Fernand Firon, and Aaron Salazar as the center backs. Jurgen Roman as the left back. And then that five-man midfield would be Alonzo Martinez, Bernard Alfaro, Jefferson Brenes, Rondell Leal, Luis Diaz, and Manfred Ugalde at striker. They were not as good as I talked them up to being. (laughs) (laughs) Mea culpa here. (laughs) They were were kind of what I expected in that um, they were professional. Like, they were organized. Like, they didn't... uh, they weren't necessarily like easy to break down. And that's, that's a huge departure from what we've seen, even the senior team uh, up against for the last several friendlies. Um, So in that sense, this is kind of like exactly the kind of test I like to see. It'd be nice if they had a little bit more uh, threat going forward that we would have to deal with rather than, you know, providing them the threat as, as we did in that game. Uh, But I I think that is kind of what to expect. You know, they're not superheroes. We were everyone, everyone was kind of talking them up as, Oh, they're all like seasoned pros. A ton of them play together on the same team. But again, they're not they're not all playing together at Real Madrid. They're all playing together on a uh, solid team in Costa Rica. So, yeah, you, you just have to sort of remember that these are all still young professionals who are not playing at the highest level. 
They're just they're just sort of have that baseline competence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I thought uh, Gerson Torres off the bench definitely provided a spark for them, and um, so maybe he should have started over Alonzo Martinez. I mean, if we're gonna, I'm not gonna spend the whole <laughs> the whole episode, you know, uh, litigating the lineup decisions from Costa Rica, but but Alonzo Mart- Martinez was the guy who ended up in on goal against Ochoa in the two biggest moments of the the first 15 minutes. And I think we're a little lucky it was him and not like Leal or Diaz or, or maybe even Garrison Torres. But, uh, but let's not dwell on that too much. Well, credit, credit to Jason Christ for setting up our defense in a way that when we hand picked opportunities for them, we gave it to their weakest players. Yeah. Right. Let's talk about five D chess. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they they were tooth they were pretty toothless. I thought Leal was Leal was dangerous when he was on the ball. I mean, he had that feel of danger when he got on the ball, but Diaz was Diaz was a lot of sizzle and not too much stake, in my opinion. And um, yeah, I didn't see anything threatening from anybody else. And and maybe so, some credit, I mean, should go to you know our defensive setup, our organization. Uh, mm-hmm. Let me let me just real quick kind of run through what I appreciated about our defense. If you're okay with that, yeah, please do. Or, or I guess the effect of it. We we stayed with our four three three press, um, and I thought it was extremely effective at basically not letting Costa Rica have any kind of game that they wanted to have. It was a lot of them sort of knocking the ball around the back, and then as any bit of pressure got onto them, they'd sort of just float a ball upfield, and it would almost always just go directly to a U.S. player. So, you know, it might not have been quite as sexy as like creating a ton of turnovers. I know there were, were a couple of notable turnovers we created that did lead directly to chances, but Costa Rica after that kind of adapted and, and just sort of wouldn't let us have that. But in exchange, they just gave us the ball really cheaply uh, to our, you know, deeper lying players. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The press did, the press did make them pretty uncomfortable, didn't it? Yeah, it really did. It looked, they, it kind of mirrored how our center backs looked when we, when they had a bunch yeah. of time, uh, and that they were just almost like too happy to give the ball away or, or not. Ha- they weren't willing to try anything particularly dangerous. So it was either safe or a turnover. Firon, the right center back, had a shocker of a game. <laughs> He's right up there with Pineda. Um, could have easily been sent off too, I think. Um, okay, so let's go into the timeline. Are you good with that? Yeah, the Bell's chronology. Let's have it. The Bell's chronology coming right at you. Second Brought minute. by Schick. All right, what are we doing? <laughs> Schick, is that our new sponsor? I don't know. No. Okay, before we get into the timeline, I should, I, should, I should just make official that we are an ad-free podcast. We're patron-supported. So Schick right. is not the sponsor. Okay. okay. I, guess, I guess just every once in a while we'll throw out some free, some free publicity. The sponsor is you, <laughs> dear listener. All right. Timeline. Second minute. Glad hits a nice diagonal to Vines, who pumps a chest high ball across, and Ferrer. It's like a little bit beyond Ferrer's reach. Do you remember this one? Yep, I know what you're talking about. Would you have liked to see a little more back post ruthlessness from Mister Ferrera? Uh, I, I guess no, not necessarily. I, I would have. I don't think he had like a particularly uh, intentional run there, or particularly intentional movement. So. It's one of those where because the ball went back post, you're like, oh, sh- I wish he would have done that. That would have been great. Um, but I, it would have been just as uh, good to have seen some ruthless near post run. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, 
Um, in any event, whatever run he was going to make, there was certainly no one to make the the opposing run. So if he'd gone near post, there was no one up there to make the far post run and vice versa. Okay, yeah. It would have been, uh, yeah, it would have been some prescience there. Some clairvoyance. Um, also in the second minute, Ferreira picks Firone's pocket. So kind of a mirror image of what happened to Pineda a little bit later. And then he's one-on-one with the goalkeeper and tries to go near post. I think he made the right choice trying to go near post because he because he totally wrong-footed the keeper, but it hit the it hit the post, bounced out to Benji Michelle who couldn't quite get his feet right, and uh, the the chance petered out. But that was a big big chance. Yep, and it's nice that he created it for himself. Uh, he misses he misses his placement by seven or eight inches, uh, or or again it would have been a a banner start. Yeah. Some bright play from the U.S. in the in the third minute too, up the right wing. Yule kind of pinging the ball into the into that next level from from deep. Not much quality from the U.S. in the final third, but the system I thought you know was kind of looked like it was starting to work a little bit right at the beginning. That, that proved was, not to be true. But. And this that was one of uh, Yule's uh, uh, opportunities to kind of show what he does well, and and maybe I'll have to find that and clip it out and post it. Uh, it is one of those where our sort of. It, they, Costa Rica was probably a little bit shook after that turnover to Ferreira. So this is mm-hmm. one of those times where under not much pressure, uh, they elected to just hit a long ball, you know, to no one really. And it went directly to Ewell and Ewell collects it. And this is one of the few times he could get on the ball because of how Costa Rica were defending him um, was to was to get it in in transition or to intercept it. Um, and he hit a really kind of like disguised vertical pass mm-hmm. uh, up to was, did he hit, find Michelle's feet? I can't remember whose feet he found. Yeah, probably Michelle. Yeah. But this is one of those few times he was able to do it. But it was one of those where, you know, it's 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 a minor thing. It's a little detail. But just having the way his hips are facing and uh, it might it was a, it was a bit of an unexpected vertical pass. And we didn't get a ton of those. But that is what Yule is going to be there to offer uh, if he's going to offer anything. Yeah. He didn't get to offer that too much because they shadowed him pretty much. It was pretty much Ugalde on in his back pocket the whole time Yule was out there. The whole, the, which was the whole game, I guess. Yule didn't come off, did he? Um, and he couldn't get on the ball. So, so anyway, then Costa Rica starts getting some chances. Ochoa has to come off his line three times before the ten minute mark, including once in the seventh minute after Vines and Mihailovic. I see you're disputing this. You think it was Yule? <laughs> I thought it was Yule. If we're talking, are you talking about where the feed cuts out for a second? Yeah. I'm pretty sure Mihailovic. that's you, but we'll, okay, uh, we'll, we'll verify. We'll say, well, we won't verify, but we, we'll just say <laughs> that I'll, I'll concede that it's you. And they don't connect on a pass in the defensive third. The feed cuts out and it goes into that like multicolored rainbow thing. And then um, uh, Alonzo Mart. next thing we see, Alonzo Martinez is in on goal and Ochoa is coming out, getting big and snuffing it, snuffing it out. First sign that this is going to be a nice uh, performance from Ochoa. Yeah, we're, we're hoping there that Vines and Mihailovic, or Yule, I'm sorry, uh, that that's just a bit of like rust and and not playing together. So um, not quite being on the same page because it's a pass we need Vines to make, right? When, yes. when we're, we're going to build out of there, that Vines is under a little bit of pressure, almost I think maybe is like back to goal as he's receiving the ball. Uh, and so he clips it uh, square to Yule and Yule had like started to take a step deeper to drop and maybe give Vines a better angle for that layoff. And and Vines hits it where Ewell was, and that's how we lose it. And then Ewell, uh, and this is going to be the issue, or the question is, is not quick enough in his change of direction to make up for that mistake. And that's always going to be kind of mm-hmm. the question and the test for Ewell is, 
um, is that lack of quickness uh, too much? Like if, if he, if everything always has to be perfect going into Yule, then is he a good enough option for, for us to be able to relieve pressure the way that you might be able to with a Tyler Adams who, if the ball is not perfect, he can adjust very quickly and smother a counter before it really turns into anything or just win it outright and continue play. Yeah. Very well said. I think that is, that is a big question about you. I mean, the question, the answer, and the answer to the question is he's not quick enough and it is going to be a problem. So that's not to let vines off the hook for the pass. Like the pass needs to be better. Uh, but again, if you're going to have, if you're going to require flawlessness to build, to play your way out of trouble, uh, then that might, that might be too difficult of an ask. And then you might have to change your, your math on how you advance the ball at the field. Yeah. Cause if, if, you know, vines isn't flawless as evidenced by that play. And I can guarantee you, Anthony Robinson isn't going to be flawless either. So there you have it moving right along. Some shakiness at the back from Pineda and glad early, but Pineda most glaringly, they were asked to be pass the ball into the midfield because Ugalde was shadowing Ewell and not allowing him to get on the ball. Um, 17th minute, Pineda gives it up, and this is that big, big moment where Ochoa has to come out and get real big. The It was Alonzo Martinez, and he, he cuts to his left to, I think, eliminate Glad, and then he's one-on-one with he's one-on-one with Ochoa, and Ochoa got really, really big, makes a big save of the game, capital B, capital S. Huge moment. Yeah, just inex- inexplicable, like, uh, casualness from... Uh, from Pineda there. And I don't know if it's like the heat and the, you know, the, but they've, you know, they've been down there for three weeks. Like, you you know, it's hot. Like we, we need to a little bit more uh, quick, like it has to be crisp, you know, everything. And it's a game. Like I'm actually surprised at how casual he was all the time, not just on that giveaway, but there were a lot of times where like, he's just taking forever to shift his body little ways, like, like change your body shape and, and make the next thing happen. And it was, it was, uh, most apparent on that sequence. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, Pineda, there's no disputing the fact that Pineda had a really bad game and I don't, and I think, but we should distinguish between Pineda and glad glad, I think had a pretty good game defensively. Like he did a lot of, he did a lot of last ditch stuff and defending. That was good. Um, but glad, you know, they both had trouble passing the ball out of the back and not just in the first half, like throughout the game. Um, so I don't know if that's ru- how much of that is just who they are as players, how much of it is rust for from being out off season for so long, but it's gonna have to get better in the next few days. Otherwise, we're gonna pay for that, I think. Yeah, and I'm sure I'll come back and touch on it again as we get a little bit later and talk about uh, one Jackson Ewell and his in his performance. Yeah, can't wait for that. The seriously. Um, <laughs> Because I don't know what you're going to say. 30, 35th minute, uh, Ferreira. So I, I'm going to start in the goals. This is the goal sequence. I'm going to start way back. There's a short corner from Costa Rica, and Ferreira defends Luis Diaz 1v1. Do you remember this? And uh, I, I actually don't. Yeah. So it's Ferreira 1v1 against Diaz in the corner, and he takes the ball right off of him. and um, And then he tries to play it. He tries to play it long to Michelle, I think. Might have been. Yeah, it was Michelle. And it gets cut out of bounds by a Costa Rican player. And that's the throw-in that starts the goal sequence. It's a throw-in from Herrera, I think, to Glad. Glad to Pineda. 
And Pineda plays a diagonal to Vines. Um, it's a little hot and high, but Vines plucks it from the air with his outstretched left foot. I think this that touch right there is why people say Vines had a good game. The people who do say Vines had a good game. <laughs> it's because of that touch and, and ev- the eventual goal that followed it, Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Because it was a nice touch. But it's it's worth noting that he takes an awkward touch after that one. Yeah, has to like get his feet all set right afterwards. Almost trips over the ball and then takes a really heavy touch that uh, like, you know, like 15 yards out in front of him and gets to it though, thankfully, and then skims the ball across the area. Dotson, Hassani Dotson is crashing near post on this play, which we had a little discussion of this earlier. It's, which is cool. I'm glad to see him doing that. Uh, How that happened, I don't know. Why is Dotson crashing near post and Ferreira waiting in the wings out behind him. Right. Because they, they basically started at the, I mean, shoulder to shoulder when, when sort of the sequence started with the ball going wide to vines. Uh, so, so it was very much like, I don't know if, if it was just more natural for Dotson, like mentally to make that run, like identifying it and going, whereas Ferreira is just more likely to hang back. Um, because remember after the January camp, this most recent one, uh, Ferreira emphasized how much Burhalter was asking him to really attack and get in the box, uh, and definitely not on display in that particular sequence. Right, right. And then, so yeah, so Ferreira just waits outside the box as as Dotson goes near post and Michelle kind of drifts far post. And you know, this is one of the rare times where we had three people attacking the goal in this game, and. The ball comes. The ball comes to Dotson, who's like challenges a, a center back for it, and it just kind of uh, lightly caroms backward toward the penalty marker, right into the path of Ferreira, and he tucks it in uh, at the far post. A pretty nice finish. Near post. Near post. Near post for That's him. A near post finish, as far as I could tell. Well, yeah, it's near post for him. Far, oh, I gotcha. far post I gotcha. from the the perspective of the cross from Vines. I gotcha. Yeah. You're right. You're right. It is a near post. I wasn't post letting finish. the goalkeeper goalkeeper off the hook for the near post finish. Not, okay. There was nothing nothing really the goalkeeper was going to do back up or not. <laughs> right. 1 0 USA. And that was the ultimate game winner. I think that's. Sev- when, when you have David Ochoa in goal, you only need one goal. That's how I it works. I guess so. Yeah. That 17th minute save from Ochoa and then the 35th minute goal from Ferreira were the sort of decisive moments of the game. Because there was a lot of there was there was a flurry of action from Costa Rica in early in the second half that could have gone wrong. You know, soccer's a funny game, but there wasn't anything that was. Uh, I don't know what the XG would be on all those chances. You know? <laughs> there were no sitters, right? There were yeah. no missed sitters. Yeah. If anything, uh, Ferreira had the biggest of the sitters from then on. Yeah, forty-seven. Let's go forty-seventh minute. Glad plays uh, Herrera into the corner, overlapping Herrera. Um, Glad did have a couple nice moments of distrib- distribution after that 30 minute drought where he and Pineda could not complete a pass, complete a forward pass. <laughs> and then Herrera rolls it across the top of the six. Ferreira is flaring near post, which I think is fine. You know, he's like, he's trying to open himself up for a, a little bit of a cutback, but why don't you take over here? Cause I think you have opinions on this. Lewis and Mihailovic are in the frame. <laughs> They're in the frame, but they're just absolute spectators for the whole thing. Yeah. Like, uh, neither of them breaks anywhere. They didn't, like, they weren't, like, intentionally, intelligently hanging back the way Ferreira kind of did once Dotson made the near post run on the goal sequence. They're literally just watching other people play soccer, uh, which is devastating to see when you're, you're already running like a false nine. So everyone should already be, like, 
looking for those chances to get forward and get in the box. Like that should just be your default mode uh, when you're playing with Jesus Ferrer as your nine. And even though he Ferrer was in the box in this case, like how are you not thinking I'm basically a forward in this situation? Need to be need to be in this play to attack. And and it's not in your uh, chronology, but the same thing kind of ha- a similar thing happened like four minutes before it just wasn't a ball all the way to the end line. It was like one of the few times we got the ball into Ferreira's feet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then as the camera like pans down to Ferreira, uh, who has the ball just off center, uh, you know, just outside the 18, you see Mihailovic and Lewis basically now behind the play, just spectators. And that's, again, I don't know if it's the heat, but this is the, cause it'd been 40 minutes, but uh, like that's just, we just can't have that. That can't be, the movement and the attacking instinct from the players in those positions when you're playing with Jesus Ferrer as your striker. Yeah. Send Mihailovic to the Frank Lampard school of box arrival. No, I, yeah, I, I it was frustrating because of the ball and some people blamed Ferreira for not making the right run, like immediately on, on the internet. But, but that it was frustrating to see that ball roll across the top of the six because the Costa Rican goalkeeper kind of misjudges it and he sort of takes himself out of the play and now we have the ball rolling in front of an open goal and Mihailovic and Lewis just kind of like like you said spectating from about 10 yards away and then like oh no I should have been there and by then it's too late right and that's totally different than like making an intentional run early that that you know the ball ends up going to a different place that happens like you can't know for sure where the ball's going to go you went to a dangerous area to lose a mark or just in case the ball goes here but that just wasn't what was happening they were they were you know quite literally just uh maybe trotting maybe kind of half walking uh watching the rest of the action take place yeah not good not good guys Ferrera Ferrera was Ferrera was uh is an example of somebody who made a who did something intentional and the ball happened to go somewhere else uh, he was trying to create space for himself near the corner of the six. Okay, halftime. And then this the early in the second half, we we looked okay right at first, and then we had a lot. We gave up a lot of chances, um, but none of like I said earlier, none of them like a clear cut golden opportunity. Just kind of half chances. So forty eighth minute, Leal is given a lot of space by Pineda. Um, he receives the ball in the box. Pineda kind of falls back, and then uh, a little, a nice little bit of quality from Leal to sort of you know pretend like he's going away from goal and then come back towards it, and then he just lashes one uh, from a tight angle, a difficult angle, um, and you get a good reaction from Ochoa, a good reaction save from Ochoa. I'm not sure it was going on frame anyway. I couldn't tell from the replay. It looked like it was drifting a little wide, but still a good reaction. Good reaction, and that's just one to sort of uh, put a nice spotlight on the poetry of goalkeepers technique in motion, because it's, I think it's just so I really enjoy seeing goalkeepers uh, move and dive and make saves <laughs> like to get into the aesthetics of the thing. Talk about uh, it. Get, I, get deep. <laughs> like the, you know, just the, the rotation of the body and moving, like how you, how you maintain your, your, like your balance or, or sacrifice your balance to get your body in the right shape to redirect a ball that's hit as hard as possible at you. Uh, they say like, those are the ones for the cameras, but like, that's awesome. We should really enjoy those. Yeah. They're, they're just gorgeous to watch. Yeah. I have a whole bit on Achoa coming up later here, but I do. One thing I don't have in there is just that he's, is that he's fun to watch, you know, he's fun to watch, not just because of his personality, but he, well, 
part of his personality is like he's just so expressive. Like we'll talk about it in a moment, but that Diaz shot that that flashes wide, you can in the replay you can see him. He dives. He doesn't get to it, but it's going well wide. And he has it covered, like his hands cover the post from the angle you see. Yeah, you see that. And you see him like crane his neck around and watch with his eyes as he as the ball goes around the around the post. It's just kind of fun. It's just good television, you know? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's not all about like just worrying about the US national team and its in its future. It's like just also you get to enjoy the soccer. Yeah. Well, I can imagine uh, neutrals or casuals turning on the TV to watch a game with David Ochoa and being like, this is kind of fun to watch. It's kind of fun to watch this guy. All right. The rest the rest of the soccer wasn't quite as fun to watch. No. But, uh, but there were moments. Yeah. 59th, 59th minute, Michelle and Mihailovic make way for Sebastian Salcedo and Andres Perea. It seemed to me like these were good substitutions. Did you agree? Yeah, we, we can get into Michelle a little bit. Like, uh, I'm sure we'll talk. I'll talk about Mihailovic. Uh, in well, well, I'll talk kind of both about both of them because everything kind of centers around around the Yule debate. Okay, we'll 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 wait. We'll put a pin in that. Uh, <laughs> I thought Perea brought some just simple ball security to the midfield, and and then and Saucedo brought uh, a little bit of threatening action. He had a, as soon as he comes on, he hits a probing pass in the box that draws a sliding challenge from a center back and it falls to Ferreira inside, inside of eight yards. I think he tries to outside yep. the boot it, but doesn't, doesn't quite connect. But just, just as a quick note on that, uh, Ferreira got to that shot and attempted the shot, but like breaking onto the ball at the same time was Sebastian Saucedo. Like after he had made the initial pass, unlike what we saw a lot of from Lewis and, and Mihailovic, he then burst forward to continue the play and get into a new dangerous space and very possibly could have actually scored that if, if Ferreira had left it to him. Yeah, totally. And then they, they kind of hugged each other because Ferreira realized that, <laughs> I think. And I don't know for sure that he would have gotten there. Like, I think the keeper was coming, so uh, or whoever, whether it was a goalkeeper or defender. Someone might they might have actually been able to get there before Saucedo, so it might have just been one of those. Uh, no one had a great chance to score, and and we didn't convert it. Ferreira could have laid it back to Saucedo. That could have been it. That would have been it if he had just sort of rolled it a yard away from where the goalkeeper was yeah, coming. Yeah, that was the play. You're right. You're totally right. And those were our first real attacking. Oh, and then Saucedo also hit uh, you know a speculative one from distance that that flashed wide, but it was it you know. I was at that at that point in the game. I was watching on the TUDN broadcast, and maybe it's just the announcer getting excited when a shot like that is hit. That makes me think it like means something. But they, the announcers definitely did get excited. So, so sixty. Those were our first real attacking option uh, actions of the second half. Uh, as I, if I remember correctly, am I wrong about that? That feels right. Okay. Sixty. I'm going to go with my feels here. Okay. Sixty fourth minute. Big chance missed by Ferreira. And this is a chance to talk about Hassani Dotson. Uh, Dotson takes the ball from two Costa Rica players in a row in our defensive third and then combines with Jonathan Lewis pretty nicely up the right sideline and then hits a lovely first-time ball in behind for Ferreira, who is in on goal. Heavy, heavy first touch from the goal scorer. And he doesn't have room to dink it over the keeper who closes, closes it down David Ochoa style. And then Ferreira hobbles off with a, a strain or a cramp, not sure which, and Soto comes on. So that that moment for Dotson, that moment, that series of moments for Dotson for me was like the 
the Sebastian Legette moment. Like that felt very Legette-ish or even like very Weston McKenney-ish to sort of boss the game in the way he did there and to release an attacking player. And so when we talk, you know, a lot about the kind of center midfielders we'd like to see and we talk about how we want players who can drive the game forward, like that, that's the example right there. Yeah. And I think Dotson had a pretty good game all, all in all, you know, uh, he was a good physical presence. Like the, the, the two clips that Joe Lowry put on Twitter. They, they, I was just going to bring those up. Oh, okay. Go ahead. I'll, I'll, I'll shut up and you go ahead. No, no, I mean, you're spot on. Like th- those were exactly like those, uh, those legit moments I'm talking about where, uh, he was able to, uh, sort of overpower a guy in the space. So he, he has total control of his space, um, combines well. So, you know, it's, it's like a little pass and then a little movement afterwards. And we didn't have a lot of those sort of tight combinations throughout the game. Uh, and I, I really think that the way the U.S. plays, that is going to be our big advantage, our big, uh, our, the biggest way that we unbalance teams in possession. Uh, I think the press is going to generate a lot of chances for us going forward. But I think those small, tight combinations are going to be the way we unbalance teams the most. With our central midfield play, I think we're going to shift away from like the long diagonals. Uh, and I think it's going to be those kinds of sequences. And Dotson had uh, a couple of them. I wish he had more, and I'm not necessarily putting that on him. I'm hoping we see more of that from him in these coming games. I think that's sort of going to be the big challenge of the coaching staff and the players to incorporate is to is to emphasize that kind of play and recognize those patterns when they're on and really play for those those patterns. Mm-hmm. I think I saw. I feel like I saw some of those patterns starting. In the game, you know, you'd have like one one pass into a uh, dropping winger and then one layoff, and oftentimes that would be it, you know, and then the next pass would be uh, not so good or something, you know. Either Yeah, you'd either be like a full retreat and go all the way back or it would be like that the, that player would usually like dribble into into problems is what I kind of noticed is yeah. it felt like then it would just be like, okay, now I'm just going to go 1v1 until until I lose it. Yeah. And even when we did switch it from side to side, like one of those clips from uh, from Lowry of Dotson doing one of those combinations, it, it it we tried to move the ball from side to side, and the the side to side movement wasn't quite crisp enough, and it was like yeah. it got over to Salcedo, and it, by the time South, the ball was at Salcedo's feet, Costa Rica was getting its defense set. Right, and that's that's how precise you see it has to be. Like if the pass is even a little bit behind, where it slows the the next guy down. Uh, then the chance is gone and the defense is no longer unbalanced. And that that's where you really just want to hope to chalk it up to rust and lack of playing time together and, and hope that even over the course of a tournament um, that that gets a little more fluid, a little slicker, mm-hmm. a little more viscous. <laughs> uh, 84th minute is uh, the last thing I have on my timeline. Somebody lost his man on a corner kick. And, and you mentioned uh, Ochoa's organizational abilities. This was this would be one tiny mark maybe against him or somebody else because uh, Jurgens Montenegro, the forward sub, um, he just walked away from the center backs before the kick and nobody followed him. And then he's just standing there at uh, just outside the six. And he has an absolutely free header on a corner. Luckily, it hits the post, and uh, the aforementioned Fernand Fyron was, he tried to touch it with his chest, and he was offside. Another uh, another moment for him in this game to forget. But it went off the post, no goal, and then and then we saw the game out. Costa Rica just couldn't draw any blood, and I, it it was a little nerve-wracking towards the end there, but they didn't, 
they didn't get close, I don't think, to scoring. I think that's about right. I, I'm really glad that their player chose to go down in the box at the very end instead of trying to play through and, and see if they could turn it into an actual chance. Yeah. Uh, and I'm glad the referee was having none of it. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I would mostly agree with that. I felt like uh, it was very much the case that uh, the the wounds we had were self-inflicted. Um, and uh, we mostly we mostly sort of solved that over the last 40 minutes. The game kind of went really poorly for the last 35 minutes yeah. but uh but again you know i'm, I'm not going to be too worried about that i'm, I'm mo- mostly going to focus on like what did we see that we can improve on because that's the aim here the aim is just to continue to earn points to advance out of the group so what worked and what can we what can we uh or how do we bring that into the next game yeah i think i have a bit on costa rica here but i think i've mostly said it all already they they weren't as good as i thought they'd be uh U.S. players, let's talk about... Can we talk about Ochoa? Let's talk about him. We've said a lot about him. Yeah, we have. Uh, there was a lot to say. I think I think he also... We've talked about the saves. I think he also had a good game distributing the ball, both with his arm and with his feet. That clipped ball to the flank. Um, one time he did a... What do you call it when you... When you... Um, when you're like... It's like a drop kick, kind of? What do you call that? Yeah. Like either a drop kick or a half volley where yeah. he... He had a, and he had a couple of those he, the sliced variety out to the yeah. out to the fullbacks. I mean, he was I don't I haven't seen the stats, but I think he was 100%, you know, like passing the ball out of the back. Uh when he wasn't just like just lumping it, you know. Yeah, right. Um and then uh you know, he so he he looks comfortable with the ball at his feet and the shit housing was first class. We got to talk about that a little bit. <laughs> it's a big deal, right? You need that in a tournament. He he has a big personality and he's been that way for a while. I mean, there's some famous clips, famous in our little world clips of him <laughs> in the USL championship game a, a year or two ago, a year, two years ago where he, um, you know, he's just talking, talking, talking to the opponent and like, you know, John with the fans. And so it's not just the time wasting in the sort of theatrics because that those were important. But, you know, he's talking to his defense a lot, talking to the opponent, talking to himself, running in people's way unnecessarily <laughs> as the ball's, like, going out of bounds. He One time he threw a ball on the field to set up a goal kick as Costa Rica was setting up a corner kick, <laughs> for, <laughs> forcing, a, forcing a Costa Rica player to run up and get kick the ball off the field, you know, giving him, his team a little bit of time. He's just, like, he's just a constant presence. He's in, he's, like, sort of, putting his stamp on the on the match constantly in all of these weird and sort of fun to watch ways and i just love it so much uh second ball on the field by the way is a very underrated stall tactic is it yeah that's a great that is a great way to do it whether it's throw in situations to deny quick restarts anytime you can get another ball on the field you do it yeah yeah i think he also like you know like i don't know if it's trash talking or if he's just being a weirdo but he um like the one time when when uh, Leal took that shot and he saved it, the 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 one that, from a tight angle, he he's up and he's like he's got his fingers together like so close, so close, you know. <laughs> he was the most exciting thing about this game, and I you know I don't know what's going on with RSL. I'm sure they've got some Oklahoma City Thunder reserve on tap to start all their games this year <laughs> instead of instead of Ochoa, but I sure hope he gets to gets that that full time job in RSL and can work his way into the senior national team because he does of all the players in this 
team, perhaps with the exception of Ferreira, he seems like one who could actually be a national team uh, contributor pretty soon, in my opinion. Yeah, it's it's interesting. So, you know, obviously it's a position where you you kind of just need the one guy for the most part. Yeah. Uh you know, we we'll, we carry 3, so it that third goalkeeper spot I'd say is very much up, up for grabs. Um not that we're going to give it to a kid who's playing in the for the Real Monarchs. Uh but but it's it's also interesting because Stefan is actually starting so much earlier than basically any of our other goalkeepers have. Uh, in the past, they'd always be running up against another legendary goalkeeper in that chain of that line of succession we'd had. Whereas now Stefan could be the goalkeeper if if Stefan is really playing at the high level that we all hope he is. Uh, he's going to be out there till twenty thirty at least. I think I did the math, and in the twenty thirty World Cup, Stefan would be. Uh, the same age as Tim Howard was in the Belgium game in the World Cup. So Stefan has a long time ahead of him. So does Matt Turner. So I think David Ochoa Bells is the guy we pencil in when we do our 2034 World Cup lineups. Oh, come on. You don't think I like you don't. Is it inconceivable to you that Ochoa is better with his feet than Stefan already? Oh, I have no, I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, we're we're like even for scuffed like getting Ochoa in the senior team mix right now. I think is a is a big ask. <laughs> okay, <laughs> even for scuffed. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, let's move on. Ferreira, wh- right. what do you think of his overall performance? Um, I I was a little bit frustrated, and it wasn't necessarily with Ferreira. Again, it, it's all going to center around Jackson Ewell. Uh, I was frustrated that he couldn't he couldn't be involved. Like the whole idea is you bring him in there to help orchestrate things. Uh, coming back into midfield, and then it's it is very much incumbent on players around him and their movement. Like everything, everything has to flow to get much of anything out of Jesus Ferreira. So uh, credit to him for the goal. Credit to him for his pressure, which maybe is a little bit deceiving, but also just a, a you know a Costa Rica shocker on on his shot off the post. Um, and then you know you'll you'll probably focus on his on his poor touch on the ball from Dotson. Um, you know, which happens. Players don't always take the optimal touch. Um, I don't know. I, I I think he's I think he's a guy that I don't I don't think we do much to to shift that around if he's healthy going into the uh, next knockout game. Um, I think I'm I'm kind of hoping we sit on him until the semifinal. Oh, really? Assuming yeah. qualify. Yeah, yeah. Well, I definitely hope Soto starts just on Sunday just to just to preserve Ferreira. I mean, we, I, I guess we don't know how serious his injury is, but, or even if, or if, or even if it one. is an injury, yeah. right. Yeah. I, I mean, he does seem like a leader in this group. You know, he's very active, drops deep, moves intelligently, does a lot of things that I really like. And I, you know, I know you've been sort of joking about this, but I don't know that we have another striker in the player pool who's like him, you know, I mean, Sargent's a little bit like him, but not all the way like him. And he's not nearly as smart as Ferreira, at least in terms of like the way he moves on the field. So, I don't know. Just got to slightly overperform XG, Jesus. Please, that's all I ask. <laughs> I bet he was. I bet he was about right on. I bet he out of those three chances because he got that. No, he wouldn't be right on if if he gets credit for that last one where he hurt himself. That's probably going to be a pretty high XG chance. So. I bet he was. I bet he was responsible for about one, one six, one point six. Yeah, in the game. I bet it's not that much, but but <laughs> because XG is kind of it's always less than you think it's going to be, right? Um, yeah. 
All right, let's get to this Jackson Ewell bit. We've we've kept everybody right. in suspense long enough. <laughs> well, it's just because uh, this is this is the the entryway into I feel like our entire team tactics. Uh, and I'm going to dissent a little bit from I think what the common frustration with Ewell was from yesterday, um, and say that his being marked man marked out of the game, which was very clearly what Costa Rica decided to do, um, was not really a Jackson Ewell problem. Uh, I feel like he was sort of an easy scapegoat because. Um, you know, we weren't playing very fluidly. And so as he, when he comes in as sort of that with the reputation of being the line breaking passer, uh, and we're not doing that, then it's easy to say, well, he's not doing enough to get himself open or he's not doing enough to lose his man or whatever else. But, you know, for the U S men's national team in possession, the job of whoever's in Ewell's role, plus the two center backs is to break and unbalance that first line of pressure and that can be with a pass, which is what you usually expect from Ewell, or it can be advancing the ball past the that first line on the dribble and forcing someone from the second line of defense to step up to it and commit. And when a team decides to you to man mark Jackson Ewell off of the ball with their with their lone striker, you've basically achieved this like immediately. You don't have to do anything else, like you've done it. Uh functionally, it's it's not too much different than if the striker had decided to man mark Pineda or Glad off of the ball. Like whichever guy he marks. You still have the other two guys then to just walk up the field with the ball directly to the second line of pressure and release once someone from that line commits. And so I think the reason Ewell was taking a ton of the heat is because Pineda and Glad sort of went, especially early on, went almost like full deer in headlights and and didn't realize or or weren't capable of becoming Jackson Ewell once Ewell was man marked. Yeah. Yeah, you don't so you don't think there was a problem with his movement? like with Ewell's movement, like he wasn't, you know, think like he was failing to do something he should have done. No, I don't, I don't think so. So if they were man marking him with like a central midfielder and there was uh, additional players stepping up to press Pineda and glad on the ball, then he probably has to move to, to create space for the next, like you get the rotations where he moves, maybe he then takes that guy upfield and uh, Mihailovic or, Dotson drops in into the space to to see if their defenders are coordinated enough to to pick up both guys. Usually, the guy who drops in next will be available, and you play it into him, and that's how you break that first line of of defense. But there wasn't really a first line of defense. The guy marking Ewell was usually the first line of defense, and they're just saying like they're giving Pineda and Glad total free pass to walk the ball up the field and hit any pass that they want to hit. Yeah. So it could be it could be coaching. Um, where we weren't prepared for that. It could be like poor recognition from Pineda and Glad. And, and to an extent, you will, I'd say, like needs to help communicate that. Um, but it's, an, it's you know, pretty easily, it's an easy fix, in my opinion. And barring a case of like Pineda just having full-on yips where he just cannot connect that pass, if another team does it, I'd expect us to look a lot cleaner in how we, in how we handle it. Yeah. It didn't look like they were, Pineda and Glad were prepared to do that job, you know? It looked like they were like there was a little bit of an O S H I T vibe about them. You know, I don't. I get the 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 pushback I'll give you there is it wasn't like a, an O S H I T like there was panic. It was just like complete like oh well, what do I do? I I want to give the ball to Jackson Ewell. That's what we do in training all the time. We you know we hand the ball off to him and then he hits the next pass. Um, so there wasn't like this panic, and maybe that led to how casual and lackadaisical Pineda was on the ball. Uh, especially that time he had it taken from him is it's like, Oh, now, now I have to be the, the distributing midfielder or the distributing deep player. And I have to do this. 
Uh, I saw on video a couple of times Sasani Dotson like frantically like waving Justin Glad up the field when Glad was on the ball, like, come on, like just bring it up towards us and then we can play. Uh, mm. But but that kind of leads me to sort of the next issue that we ran into besides Glad and Pineda, at least early on, just not really realizing that it was now their job to do that was that our front five shape kind of like sucked in my opinion. Hmm. Say more about that, please. So it was a bit of like a hybrid of what we kind of usually do where it, I don't, it wasn't like the wings tucked in and the fullbacks got really high right away to, to have our initial shape, even though we could have done that because there was no real pressure on the ball. So we have plenty of time to do that. It takes time. So if you, if you don't have time to do that, that can throw you off. But that was an issue. We had plenty of time to set up exactly how we wanted to set up once we were building. And, you know, we didn't have that. Vines and Herrera kind of stayed, uh, I guess I'll say shallower. Like they sat, they sat closer to Ewell's line or closer. Yeah. Basically on Jackson Ewell's line, uh, which we kind of saw in some of the friendlies. We kind of saw that in the uh, El Salvador friendly down in Orlando in December, but Pineda, or I'm sorry, but Lewis and Michelle mostly stayed wide. So they were occupying the, the wide channels. And then Dotson and Mihailovic were the guys who were a bit in the half space, but they weren't quite, they weren't all the way up. So they were kind of in this like no man's land or this middle ground where we couldn't really hit them as like those tucked in winger in those tucked in winger spaces. Mm -hmm. And they weren't coming back for those tight combinations that we could play to try to unbalance. So it was just this very like static. Everyone was kind of in a recognizable position space wise, the way Berhalter likes to play. But there was just no interchange. Mm. There were no like there was no movement in opposition where one guy checks back and then the next guy runs into his space. And what you end up with is like Ferrer then has to cover his central channel and he has to try to move into the windows in the half spaces for the center backs to hit. And we couldn't we I mean that's just asking him to do too much. And I think that was a big problem. And I think that was one of the big reasons that we were so stagnant. Interesting. I I had a hard time picking up on that. Partly because of the camera angle, you can't always see what's going on with the with uh, Mihailovic or or Dotson when you know when the ball is at Pineda's or Glad's feet. But I believe it. I believe that there was not enough uh, enough movement or not enough finding that right window of space from those guys. And, and part of that too is is player selection for me. Like Jonathan Lewis and Benji Michelle are not going to come into the half space. And be super comfortable playing as like the tens. Uh, Michelle had some bright moments, but they weren't in that vein. It was like he had a good spin where a ball came into him and he sealed the guy off and was able to run upfield with it. Um, but you know that's not going to be their position. Whereas if you switch, if if it had been Ulianas, and that's probably how we were preparing, uh, I'm assuming that Giannis would have been that player. Mm-hmm. And if it were Sebastian Saucedo on the left side pinching into that half space. Like suddenly you have two that that becomes a much more comfortable um, fit for the players involved. Yeah, uh, yeah. Georgie Georgie's another one who who just for me does not, and we kind of anticipated this, and I was hoping we wouldn't see him having this role. But he does. You almost like take away all of his strengths and, and accentuate his weaknesses by having him play as like a number eight. He doesn't come and find the ball. Uh, he doesn't he doesn't drive the game forward with the ball at his feet. Like he should be the guy in the half space high up the field playing right off of Ferreira for those combinations. And instead, like, I mean, he was, did you, did you see him do anything really? No, no. Uh, and he was the first, you know, he's the first guy to come off too, where he and uh, I guess he and Michelle both were the first to come off. 
And it's one of those where like, it's almost unfair to be super critical of, of Georgie because it's, he's just not being put in that position to like, I don't think that's a good position for him to succeed. Uh, I'm, I'm very curious how I'm, I'm curious about a lot of things for the next couple of games. Um, one is what kind of like rotation we feel like we're forced to do. You know, we've got a Thursday, Sunday situation coming up. It's 90 degrees. I'd be surprised if there weren't significant player rotations. We're already going to be doing that. Um, but, but two is going to, so basically if we can beat Dominican Republic, the next big question would be, how do we set up for that must win semifinal? The Mexico game will be in my, I, I, if everything sort of shakes out the way we expect the Mexico game will be a wash and it's not for a trophy. So even the people who are like, well, you can't, you can't, you know, like rest against Mexico. You have to try to beat Mexico. Like, no, absolutely not. This is a dead rubber group stage game. Both teams would be trotting out their, their reserves in this one. So then it becomes, all right, what does Christ think about uh, the Costa Rica game versus how he sets up for uh, this hypothetical must win semifinal? Yeah. So if, so just so everyone knows, if we beat the Dominican Republic and Mexico beats uh, Costa Rica, we are into the semifinal game. If that, if those things both yeah, happen, then on the Sunday. Mexico game would just determine first and second in the group, uh, which I'm guessing we wouldn't really care to try to win. Like I don't, there'd be no incentive. There'd be no rational uh, uh, for wanting to be first rather than second. Cause I don't know who in the other group is going to be on top. Yeah. Could be, can I mean, it could be anybody. I actually, somebody asked me on Twitter if, if I know who the, who's likely to win that group. And I just don't, you know, they get those games start <laughs> the, later today. It is worth noting. Right. And I don't know. Oh, oh it's ahead. just worth noting that the other games we have, the one on Sunday is uh, is going to be, if not after dark, certainly after the um, the shadow covers the Estadio Jalisco, and then the one against Mexico, three days later than that is even later at night, like definitely after dark. So we're not going to have another one where we're like in full sunshine. Okay. And again, if if it shakes out the way, if we beat Dominican Republic, which is not certainly not given, and if Mexico beats Costa Rica. Uh, both Me- the U.S. and Mexico should be playing like 30% gentlemen's agreement. Just just relax on the pitch, get some sun, and go home. Marcinkowski and Freeze at center back. <laughs> Marcinkowski Marcin- and Freeze as a double pivot. Um, there might be rules against that. There, like to, to prevent people from trying to game it and sneaking outfield players on as goalkeepers. <laughs> so in your ridiculous hypothetical, Bells, it would be against the rules. Okay. Well, you can't play a goalkeeper as an outfield player? It's just I, like a roster I think rule. There, I think there might be a rule about it. Otherwise, you would just bring an extra outfield player and call him one of your three goalkeepers, and then be like, "Oh no, it's our goalkeeper." But you'd be buying yourself an extra. Oh, that's true. An extra sub. Yeah. Okay, maybe maybe you're right. Uh, I think I think that's all we have on that. Right? I mean, Mexico defeated the Dominican Republic four to one. It was one zero at, at the half. Um, I don't think it was like. I mean, Mexico definitely the stronger team, but it wasn't like a totally, totally dominant performance. Um, I thought Miami, Inter Miami's Edison Ascuna. I mean, full disclosure, I watched I watched very little of that that game, but um, Inter Miami's Edison Ascuna did some things that looked nice to me for the Dominican Republic. I was barely able to watch the U.S. game, so I certainly wasn't able to watch the Mexico game. Did do you know? Did Mexico play its strongest lineup? Or did they do like a little bit of pre-rotations where they actually played a 
I think hybrid that's, because they're going to play was, their strongest against Coastal. It was a hybrid. Well, Macias wasn't in the starting lineup. Okay. So. That makes sense. Again, that's the kind of like game theory stuff we're going to get into a lot come World Cup qualifying with the triple windows of like, right. I'm actually, yeah. So, uh, so I was just curious um, whether we could take too much away from that game or should we have even watched it, which we didn't. So, well, there just wasn't time to watch it. You know, it's like we, we got to, we got to do it. We had to do other stuff like watch the U.S. game. Um, <laughs> I will say I thought Salcedo had a nice influence on the game. I don't know if we've already said that, but he seemed like a calming presence, ability to get on the ball. I said he had some attacking moments, didn't I? Um, Vines, uh, we should probably talk about a little bit since he's sort of in the senior team conversation. Uh, I thought he was, he's good at defending. He doesn't get beat. And, you know, that's important. Uh, in possession, I thought he was, he of course had the near, nearly had the assist on the, on the goal. But he was, he also had that big mistake early on that we talked about. And there were, some other moments of kind of messiness, I thought. So I don't know. I don't know what to think about Vines. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to basically reserve judgment there because I really am hoping that we clean up. Uh, I'm going to, we're just going to half jokingly call it the system. I'm, I'm hoping that Vines benefits from the ability of players to move more fluidly in and out of those spaces uh, where he can pick, a pa- pick out passes. I felt like it was so static ahead of him. That when we would hit that ball to him, and that that was a ball that was on, by the way, the one that uh, you know obviously it was on, it led to the first goal. Um, because of those fullbacks staying a little bit deeper, they were off in the outlet where we could float a ball from the center backs to the the fullback in space, and then they could uh, get up the field a little bit before somebody from Costa Rica would come meet them. Uh, but the the hope is that Vines has more op- options in front of him to pick out passes that showcase his passing. Cause I don't think he had a lot of those. I don't think he had a lot of those opportunities. Yeah. And maybe it would help to have Georgie as a tucked in winger instead of Lewis, because he'll, he will, will actually tuck in and be, become something of a fulcrum there. Same with Salcedo. Yep. I'm, I'm hoping that, that we see a little bit of Salcedo in that role. And then, you know, it's hard to make any judgments on Johnny Cardoso uh, and, and even a little bit Perea. I know you, you thought that Perea helped a little bit. I, I actually thought Perea, uh, was a little bit messy in defense, which if he's coming in, you're hoping that he shores things up defensively. And I feel like there was still a bit of little, like lunging. It was a bit lungy hmm. uh, while he was in there. I didn't notice that, but uh, but I believe it. And I, I just thought he was good. He was somewhat comforting in possession compared to Ewell. Like he could get on the ball and step past a guy. And he def he definitely offers that. Can can hold a guy on his shoulder for a while. Yeah. So uh, we'll be back on – well, no, we should talk about the senior roster a little bit before I – Senior roster. Whole, we will we'll be back bit. <laughs> uh, do you want me to read it real quick or do you want to read it? All right. So senior roster came out, and as we expected, the first 10 or 12 guys picked themselves. Uh, the lineup came out as Stefan Horvath Odunse, uh, Robinson Dest, Cannon, and Reynolds. The center backs were Brooks Richards, Long, uh, Tim Ream, Matt Miazga, and – Eric Palmer Brown gets mm-hmm. a gets a bit of a surprise inclusion. Uh, Tyler Adams and Ono o- Sodi, I guess, is who I'm designating as sort of the defensive mids. Uh, Eunice Musa, Sebastian Legette, Kellen Acosta, and Luca De La Torre uh, listed as the mi- the other midfielders. Aronson also listed as a midfielder, but I'm insisting that he goes in with the wingers with Pulisic, Wea, and Reyna. Uh, and then up top, we've got Sergeant DK and Giochini. Mm-hmm. I have no complaints. The snubs would be Jordan Sibachu. Matthew Hoppy, uh, DeAndre Yedlin, Dwayne Holt. And 
Well, Burhalter said for those three guys, I think specifically that they, for all three of them, they only would have been able to come to the first game. Keep in mind, like seven of the guys we just listed are only there for the first game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then going back to their clubs. Steve Juhapi and Yedlin, I think Burhalter said specifically, also would have had to have left after the first game. And since he probably didn't intend on playing them in that first game, it didn't make sense to bring them at all. Uh, so for me, the, like the actual snubs, uh, if you want to call them that, uh, I've got Dwayne Holmes, Cameron Carter-Vickers, and Mark McKenzie. Mm-hmm. And again, these are less like snubs, like the the universe isn't just, and more snubs like, all right, so that's about where the cutoff might be. It's just kind of yeah, information. Yeah, uh, snub information is a good way to put it. Yeah, I, because we did include we did include a bit of a, a speculative center back with Eric Palmer Brown. Uh, so we had we you know there was a spot that Cameron Carter Vickers could have gotten the look, and instead we decided that we'd go with what I would say is the other kind of center back, which is more the dis- distribution center back, which Palmer Brown fits into. I guess. I mean. I'm not sure I see that so much, but but I, maybe that's the reputation. I I, I guess I thought uh, you know Berhalter said I should, you shouldn't read too much into any of these inclusions or rejections, and maybe that's just coach speak. But um, so I kind of it's good. It's it's a good way to diffuse it. He's got an easy like uh, get out of jail free card with that. Yeah, like in 2020, like in 2030, when he makes his third World Cup lineup, uh, <laughs> you know, because of COVID, you shouldn't read too much into this. And then, oh yeah, Green, Julian Green, Tyler Boyd, and Kenny Seff are the, um, you know, sort of B-grade snubs. Kenny Seff doesn't qualify as a sub, but I just, I, I can't not list him on any time we talk about uh, roster omissions. Uh, Green's gump back from COVID. Um, Boyd exists and is a winger. And again, we're super light on wingers, especially with Aronson actually being listed as a midfielder. And because we're sending seven of these guys home, including way at two of two of those three wingers are going home before game two, assuming Pulisic starts game one, like that second game is going to be, we're going to be going, we're going to play nine guys. We're going to start nine players in it. It's going to be nuts. I'm banking on adding players between game one and game two. Yeah. And there's some reports that that's happening, right? Maybe off, maybe off the record. Who knows? All right. um, yeah, I think that... So that game is... That first game against Jamaica is the 25th. That's Thursday. Yep, so it's Thursday, Sunday. Yep, we'll go Thursday and then play Northern Ireland on Sunday. Um, the same, I guess the I'll just say again... That, the same day of that semifinal play-in game for the Olympics. Oh, that's right. That's right. Uh, as far as rosters go, though, it's nice when... It, it does like make things a lot easier when the top half of the roster picks itself. Because that's not that has not been the case, um, you know. Back in like 2019, for that full year, it was like every roster, and there was a lot of you know. There's all roster releases are going to have a lot of people unhappy, but 2019 was was crazy in that every every time it was like there were six or seven guys that probably shouldn't have been on the team, and like three of those guys you could feel comfortable were like going to start. So we we're going to be like starting guys who maybe we already knew were going to play no part even like 12 months later. And that's kind of how it's shaken out. But now it's like, okay, the guys on the fringe literally are on the fringe and, and there's not too much to get worked up about. I'm, I'm obviously a very big Dwayne Holmes fan. I hope he's added in between. If he's not, it's like, okay, well he would have gotten 15 minutes in the second game. Like this isn't, this isn't that yeah. big of a deal. Uh, we, we have a roster that more or less is, is self-selecting. Yeah. It all, it, it makes it even kind of crazier to think like what was going on back in 2019? Why were we doing it like that? <laughs> it's 
So weird. I don't know, but, man. That was the that was weird. Beralder said that he wanted to give the old guys a chance for a full year. I guess. Yeah, we won't like the veterans. I think he. I think he basically said that. Yeah, we won't beat beat that dead horse anymore. I. I. Um. And this is a day of celebration. I mean, that was a that was a big win for the U twenty threes. You know, within the parameters of who they are and what this is about, that was an important win. And um, you know, congrats to Christ and everybody for that. Yeah, U.S. Honestly, U.S. Soccer's done a good job of like uh, of building this sort of momentum because the way, even the way they are releasing this news is like bang, bang, bang. Senior roster release this day, the next day the twenty the U twenty threes play. Like it's been a it's been a good job of like controlling the the news cycle for domestic for for soccer. Yeah, not necessarily controlling the cycle, but like amping up people's energy. No, I mean yeah, yeah, riding the cycle in a you know riding the wave of the cycle. In an effective way. Okay. Hey, thanks everybody for listening. Anything else from you, Greg? No? That'll do it for me. Okay. Hey, thanks guys. See ya.